This is All Things ANSYS, a podcast from the technical support staff at PDT. Episode 13, sharing some lessons learned and thoughts from this year's Pacific Design and Manufacturing Show. Welcome to episode 13 of our podcast, All Things ANSYS, and uh, we, does anybody around here think 13 is an unlucky number? Should we have skipped 13? <laughs> uh, you're all engineers, you're fine. I was watching no. Paul at 13 today, they all got home, right? Oh, they got, the Paul at 13, they all got home okay. Yeah. So, so hopefully this won't be a debacle. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, the, our last podcast, number 12, was quite long. It was the longest one we've ever had so far. So we're going to try and keep this one very short. Uh, we've got a lot of people traveling and... Uh, I know that uh, Joe was doing an exhausting training class uh, all week long, so, so this one should go a little bit quicker than normal. Um, a little bit of update on the podcast itself. We've done, like I said, 12 episodes. Uh, when I checked about two hours ago, we had 2,491 downloads, which is over 207 per episode. So yay, we made our we made our goal there. So remember that when we hit 2,000, right? Um, so we're very happy about that. Still the most popular is our first one at 330, and episode three just hit over 300 listens. So that's that one where we talked about scripting and topological optimization. So those are two. At least this, this the search engine optimization is working on those. Uh, today we're just going to talk about some general, we're just going to go around the table and throw out the lessons learned in our careers as simulation people, and then uh, share some thoughts on the Pacific Design Show, which Ted and I attended earlier in the week. Um, which is an overwhelming experience. I think we just need to talk about it. It's like therapy. Uh, <laughs> so what we usually do is we go around the table and introduce ourselves, and we go to my left. So, Ted, why don't you go ahead and kick it off and let us know who you are, what your title is, what you do with ANSYS. Okay, so this is Ted Harris. I manage our simulation support group here at PADT. I've uh, been an ANSYS user for a long time, like three decades, and uh, still use it from time to time, uh, helping customers, uh, writing blog entries, things like that. And this is Tom Chadwick. I'm part of the simulation support group here at PADT, and I've been using CFD for about 30 years now. All right, this is Joe Woodward. I'm a senior mechanical engineer here at PADT. I've been using ANSYS for 21 years, and uh, yeah, we'll go from there. <laughs> <laughs> No. Okay, so we uh, we've got a uh, we're hoping that uh, Eric from Denver office would join us, not me, but he did not see anything. He's with a customer, so he didn't. Uh, he's not showing up on the web. But he, if you're a beat, that's him joining in. And of course, my name is Eric Miller. I'm one of the owners here at PADT, and I've been uh, using ANSYS for coming on up to 32 years now, and uh, I do a lot of other stuff too that I'm not quite sure right now what it is. It's, it's it's 4.11. I was here at 6 o'clock this morning, and I still don't think I actually got anything done today. <laughs> but uh, it's been a long, long day. So, um, like I said, our, our topic for today is just kind of a general one that we like to do every once in a while. We don't have anything significant to talk about, which is lessons learned um, as users of simulation. And uh, um, it's really, there's a lot that goes into being an efficient user. <laughs> And an accurate user of the tool. You know, we all go through our training class, we all use it, but uh, sometimes there's there's ticks and tricks and tips and uh, lessons we've learned by making mistakes uh, through our careers that uh, are always good to talk about. 
And uh, I'm going to pick an easy one to start the conversation, which is one that I forget to this day. Because uh, back when we started, computers crashed all the time, your terminal got disconnected, et cetera. So we save constantly. And as computers have become more reliable and the network has become more reliable, we don't save. And so we don't really think about saving all the time. And I just ran into this the other day when I was doing just a real simple thing. And uh, the reason why we save, and especially save multiple versions of things, is not necessarily that it's going to crash, you're going to lose your work, but um, you may go down the wrong path at a certain point, and you got to go right. back two or three versions. And there's ways to do that with the log file and things like that, but a really handy thing to do is just save it with a different file name every once in a while. And and I have run into, not, not so often, not too often, but every once in a while, I'll spend two or three hours in in a model building something without saving and then I close it and forget to save. That's uh, frustrating. Yeah, yeah. And it's not like I lost power. And I don't do that so much in the ANSYS as I do in other programs. So save often. That's gonna be yeah. my lesson. I part. can remember in the old days working on a complex project where I think I was on, you know, file save rev fifty three B or something. <laughs> exactly. Before like I finally was far enough along that I had something that was pretty much done. Mm -hmm. And then you so go do an ISOM. Well, I ISOM, you have to. I had like 600 <clears throat> files, that, mm -hmm. different paths and different mm -hmm. <laughs> things yeah. to go back to and uh, trying to track them down. And, you know, we don't get file corruptions that much anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, it yeah. can happen because we're dealing with complex software. I mean, Microsoft, you can get corrupted PST files too. So, yeah. It's, yeah. you know, but, you know, in the old days, I think our, Simulation files were a lot more prone to getting corrupted mm -hmm. than they are with the, the state of the tools now. But still, it's good to, as Eric mentioned, have multiple versions um, just in case something does go wrong. Either, as Eric said, you go down a path that just isn't working out and you've got a, a rev that's saved 15 or 20 steps back that you can go back to and, and go down a different path. I realize that I don't save as much as I used to now yep. that the, the Tempe power grid has gotten yeah, better. It's gotten more reliable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> During the summer months with the monsoon, it was like save every 10 minutes. Yeah. For those of you not from Arizona, we get these killer thunderstorms in the middle of the summer that uh, we would often lose power on. But most all of the you know, the power in, in this part of the city are underground now, so it doesn't happen too often. Every once in a while, you hear thunder and say, "Say, say." Yeah, uh, say that was the common that was the common problem in Florida. Is yeah, in the summertime, thing. every afternoon at four o'clock, mm -hmm. a storm front would roll through, and invariably you'd lose power. These are the things as simulation warriors that we face. <laughs> <laughs> and life is hard. You know, some of us have UPS units now yeah. too. Yeah, that helps. Uninterrupted yeah. power supply that gives you at least a few minutes for the power to come back on. Well, we get lazy because office autosaves, right? So right. you may lose a couple minutes of work. So just remember, we don't have that in simulation. Yeah. Um, anybody else got another uh, lesson learned? Um, I would say one of the most important things, especially when you're dealing with uh, meshing, is a lot of times just let the auto mesher mesh it mm. and then start working on refining the mesh from there. A lot of times I see people that get too involved and wrapped up and they spend an hour setting all these sizing controls without thinking about what they're all going to do and then they hit the mesh button and it sits there and crunches for two hours and then comes back with a garbage mesh. Uh -huh. And so just start off with a simple mesh, coarse mesh, 
and then refine it from there before you put a whole lot of effort into it. That tells you time. what you're dealing with. Yeah. 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 And you start getting too many controls <clears throat> and they start conflicting and you just that's really true. Fighting yeah. against so <clears throat> you guys are really going for the crawl, walk, run philosophy, oh, yeah. which oh, yeah. we try to instill oh. in all our students when we teach them our ANSYS classes. But start with something simple, make sure you understand it, then add the complexity. Yep. Do you yeah. get mesh one if you're working on a multi part problem. Do you mesh one part at a time or you try to do them all at once? I usually just default throw a mesh on. Just just get a mesh. See, see what it like. will do it and then go through. Mm -hmm. If it yeah. Then if I have to split it up multi body, mm -hmm. I'll do the the uh, body by body if it's a hex mesh. Right. Yeah. And now that meshing is parallel by yeah. By part, that's true. You know, if you have lots of cores on your workstation, you're going to mesh much faster if you very good just point. tell it to mesh them all. Yeah. Yeah. Very good point. Yeah, that's true. You can. It's now what default is for now. So that right. that should have speed up well, meshing. That's for the solver. Oh, that for, for, for meshing, the default is use all the. Cores. Oh, just use all the cores. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know yeah. that. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, that's actually a good thing to go. Do you have in to turn that, that on to one. Because you can tell it how many cores to use. Mm -hmm. You can set that to one less than all of them. Oh, so, so give yourself you a headroom. Yeah. If there's you're, a, there's if you're another big model. Side lesson learned is if you've got eight cores, don't pick eight cores for the mesher because it'll just right. lock up your computer. Yeah. 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 So Especially if you're doing a lot of meshing. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> so, so if you're going to take a couple N minus one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you can at least uh, check the scores of this. Well, I was going to say check the stock market, but we don't want to do that right now. Uh, maybe in a week or two, we can start to check. That, that's a good one. I like that. Um, what else? Well, I'll, I'll go to sort of a fundamental thing, which is you know, when you're getting started with a simulation project, make sure you understand the requirements from your customer, whether that's an internal customer or external customer. Um, you know, because if you think you understand the requirements, but you really don't, you may be spinning your wheels or you know setting up the wrong type of simulation and you know not satisfying your customer's needs. So make sure, you know, you know maybe repeat back to the customer in, in so many words what you believe they're asking you to do and make sure you close the loop on that. Early and often. Yes, early and often. Yep. That's, that's, I, I had a, a very similar one, which is really a try and understand what is the question that, the, that your, your internal or external customer is trying to answer. You're doing the simulation for a reason. And it's not to model part A. There's, there's a question that needs to be answered or a problem that needs to be understood. So try and understand what that is. Uh, and that goes along the same thing as Ted was saying, because there's a lot of times we spend a lot of time building a model. And we get done, and the customer's like, well, that doesn't really help me. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it's really important that we, we make that part of the whole quoting process, even. So that's, that's a really good one. Um, what else? I would say the other thing is along the same lines as the crawl, walk, run is when you're trying out a new part of the solver, mm -hmm. don't try it on the full model. <laughs> a really good point. Build any new feature. Simple, any yeah. new feature yeah. in the code. Yeah. If you're, you know, the first time you ever try and run a combustion problem, don't try and run it on a full-size combustor. Mm -hmm. Just build a simple tube, inject some fuel in, see if you can get it to light off. That's and, and it's, that's, that's something that I think newer users kind of know, but as we get more experienced, we get maybe a little cocky, and we're thinking, oh, I've done, I, I can handle this. And so we'll jump in feet first into something yeah. and uh, realize, 
uh, 12 hours later that maybe we should have done that uh, simple beam and, uh, and get, tried to get the contact to work on that or the combustion to work on the tube or something like that or the, the new uh, eddy current thing on a very simple magnet. Yeah. 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 A lot of times we have customers that, okay, I was doing, you know, mechanical and now my boss, we needed CFD, so I got to do, and we have this big project, and I got to do this huge model. <laughs> it's like it is surprising the number. They get shoved into yeah. it. Yeah, it's surprising the number of times we get tech support calls. I mean, I don't know if this is still true, but it used to be where a new user will just take the CAD model, mesh it, and run. This is the whole thing. Yeah. Without really stepping back and, and doing some test cases yeah. first. And yeah. So that that's a key lesson learned. Yeah. yeah. I've seen people do that before, where they'll go through and. They'll get this complex assembly and they'll just read it into read it into space claim or design model and they'll say, I'm having trouble meshing it. And like, well, you've got 500 parts there. Just slow down. And all of them have all the original details. It's just like the stamping, the logos, all that stuff. Yeah, just start out simple. They need to go and, and consider what they actually need to run. And a lot of times they don't want to simplify because you know the meshers now, even if it can mesh, then they just run with it, but they don't consider a lot of that makes it harder to post-process mm -hmm. in the end. Yeah. If you simplify your model and you're looking at what you need, then it makes it easier to post-process. Yep. What else? Uh, I learned it's hard to uh, script MAPDL on uh, iPhone. <laughs> so explain that, Joe. You, you play, you, before we started the podcast, you... you uh, you pointed out what you did on your flight. <laughs> I was sitting on an, on my airplane waiting to take off, and I uh, realized I had a, a script that I owed somebody, so I started scripting on uh, iPhone Note, you know, the Note. Okay. And uh, the autocorrect makes uh, scripting APDL <laughs> Your autocorrect does not know yeah. be into Although it started <laughs> to learn some of my variables. Did it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's did the person in the middle seat next to you get up and move? Was that <laughs> no, I got stuck in the middle oh, seat on that one. Okay. That's, that may be a record. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. No syntax highlighting in the... No, no. no. Unless you count all the red lines under all the words. <laughs> all the words, <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. That's funny. Oh. Mm -hmm. um, I, going back to... I remember when I was in college and one of my professors was a real stickler for it. He made you write down on every math, every problem that we solved, every homework problem, he had you write down on a piece of paper, this is what this, the statement of work is, this is what my assumptions are, this is, these are the steps that I'm going to go through. And sometimes I think that's still important when you're doing analysis is to go back and write all that stuff down, write down the assumptions that you're making. Um, when I was running CFD a long time ago, especially with Fluent, Fluent has the ability that you can change settings on the fly. So yes. you can run 500 iterations, change a setting, and then keep running from there. And what I found with Fluent when I first started using it is that if you don't document those changes, those changes <laughs> that you've made, it becomes impossible to reproduce the model when you're done. And somebody says, hey, that's great. Can you do it on this model? And you're sitting there going like, okay, when did I make that change from 
the laminar flow to the turbulent flow? When did I turn on the energy term? When did I add in this to the model? When did I do this? And if you don't document that, you'll never be able to reproduce it. So here's a really good question. That's a, that's, that's a good point. And, and, and I use Evernote to do that. So I used to write in a notebook. I used to keep text files. Actually, I guess originally I used to keep text files. Yeah. Then I tried the engineering notebook and I couldn't read my own handwriting. <laughs> now, now I use Evernote. What do you guys use to take like a little diary while you're working on? I still use just a pad of paper. Old school. Old school. I have it right down. I have I have columns of data. I write down the iteration <laughs> number and what I changed. Yeah. What you take? Depends what I'm working on, but I kind of agree with Tom. You know, I always have a notebook right next to my desk that I'm uh, working on. You know, that way if I get phone calls, I can just easily jot things down. I mean, maybe someday I'll transition to all electronic. I've sort of started doing that for some things, but for the most part, Might be. That, that piece of paper doesn't need to boot up. As long as I keep the pen or the pencil right next to it, it's ready to go. Although it might be hard to find that particular page and mm -hmm. somebody comes back two years later and says, remember we did this? And you yeah. Yeah. That's kind of stuff and you come back going, yeah, take a, picture, yeah, take a like, picture of the page and put it in there. There you go, yeah. yeah that's, that's the ability to, I remember how hard it used to be to scan and now they just take it through your phone yeah. and put it right. in there. Okay, so I, I guess I'm the only one with handwriting bad enough to need uh, something that I type in. <laughs> well, my problem is my, my handwriting is no worse than it used to be, but my eyes sure don't see as well as yeah, they used to. So what else? Um, well, I've well, Tom was talking about Fluent, and it made me think of a couple for mechanical, and certainly mechanical APDL as well, which is make sure you've got restart controls set before you start your run. That's a really good point. A lot you of people know, don't realize that mechanical can do the restart. Right. You, in mechanical, if if the model fails to converge, you can restart from the last converged point. But that's usually good enough. But in mechanical APDL, it's not the case. I, at least I don't think it's the case. Maybe not for everything. And then you can also set the controls to have more restart points as right. you go along as well. So you don't have to go back and as far. Another one that's probably more critical is turn on newton raphson residuals because that's something you can't do after the fact right we have so, to start over again that's right yeah. yeah so if you have any inkling that your nonlinear mechanical solution is not going to converge turn on the newton raphson residual plots under solution information before you start to run that way if it does fail to converge you've got some information on where the, the highest instabilities are in the model yeah, so you don't realize, okay, it failed, but I don't have any information on why, and yeah, then you have to run it again. It's a failure just, again. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a good one. It's a good piece of information mm -hmm. that isn't turned on by default. Right. There's a little bit of overhead associated with it, right, file yeah. size-wise. Yeah. 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 But these days, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Okay. I've never run out of space just from having the Newton-Raphson residuals turned mm -hmm. on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My training class this I was doing the demo and, and all the files were on there and the windows popped up, like a windows note popped up and said, uh, you're, you're short on space, do you want to delete windows? <laughs> really, it said the previous version, oh, the previous of, version of windows. Apparently there's backups of windows on there. But everybody in the class started laughing because it was on the screen. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Uh, uh, the one thing I found out is that the uh, with the model I was running recently, uh, Influent, be careful how frequently you set the uh, animation. Okay. Too. 
because even though those individual files are small, there's a lot of <laughs> same thing with Alice Dyna. If yeah. you tell it to if you tell it to save an animation file every iteration, mm -hmm. and you run sixty thousand iterations, even if they're only <laughs> two megs in size, guess what? You've burned up half a gig of half a terrabyte of yeah. data. We have a lot of disk space now, but we somehow find a way to fill it. Don't yeah, we? <laughs> I think that's one of the Our one of the fundamentals of of analysis is that we can always expand to fill the available space. Yeah. For many years, like closets. For many years I said that's an analyst or simulation engineer's job is to utilize every computer resource available to them <laughs> to the limits and beyond. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, any other last ones before we move on? Uh, get a good editor. Text editor? Uh, yeah. Text uh, that's editor. a really good one. Yeah. That's a really good point. If you don't do a lot of scripting, just uh, Sometimes just comparing files and, and just manipulating stuff. Notepad++. Uh, I, I just learned that Notepad++ has a column edit mm -hmm. so that you can go yeah. through on a CDB file. and. I, would, I used to use Emacs. Column. I used to have to use Emacs in order to do that. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, it's in. No. Yeah. What do you use, Ted, for Tech Um, Variety of tools. I mean, I'm not doing the level of work you guys are with detailed files as much anymore. So um, Notepad sometimes, sometimes you get files from Linux mm -hmm. and those don't open well in Notepad, but if you go to WordPad, they do. Yeah. And then from WordPad, you can save it as a text file and then you've got the carriage returns. That's right, the whole carriage return live feed. You're right, yeah. it's different. Yeah. Um, one last uh, lesson learned yeah. for me would be Make sure you understand uncertainties in your simulation mm. and ideally quantify those as best as you can. So, you know, there's tons of uncertainties. Mesh density is one, material properties are one, load magnitudes are one, but also things like uh, stiffness of the structure if it's, if it's a structural analysis. And by that I mean, can you get by with just modeling one part or do you need to include adjacent structures to get the stiffness right? And the way you determine that is run multiple cases where you're running with the additional structure and without and see if your results of interest are changing. And then certainly things like context settings, context stiffness, you know, run some varying values for context stiffness and make sure, again, your results of interest are not changing. That's yeah. really good. I think we, we sometimes in such a hurry to get to an answer, we don't take time to understand those things. And you could be you could get a 10 to 20 percent change in in stress because you change just the one parameter just a tiny amount. Right. Yeah. Really good point. All right. Well, that's hopefully hopefully everybody found that useful. I I, I learned a couple things. Reminded of a couple things. Uh, this you know we get so busy in our jobs we forget about these lessons. So hopefully people found that useful and we'll. Uh, We'll come back to this occasionally throughout the years. We do more of these podcasts. Um, right now, we're going to go ahead and take a commercial break. Um, I do promise that I'm going to make some new commercials. Those of you who've been listening for a while, I think we only have three. And I, I kind of semi-randomly rotate between those three, so I'll try and make a few more um, coming up here. But enjoy the commercial, and we'll be right back. On these podcasts, we have a lot of fun talking about, well, all things ANSYS. From new features to reminiscing about the good old days of batch input files, only a few listens will convey the fact that we really are passionate about this set of software tools. Did you know that you can have that passion and experience at your service to help you purchase and use tools from ANSYS? 
PDT is an ANSYS Elite Channel Partner, and if you live in the southwestern United States, you can purchase your licenses and get your support from the people on this podcast. As you can tell by listening, we not only know the tools, we know how they are applied by users in real-world situations to drive product development. Get more value from your ANSYS investment by working with PADT to manage and enhance that investment. If you are located in Southern California, Arizona, Utah, Nevada, New Mexico, Colorado, or Texas, and you are interested in exploring ANSYS as your simulation solution, adding to your existing ANSYS products, or simply getting support from the experts who go the extra mile to make you productive, contact PADT at 480-813-4884 or send an email to sales at PADTINC.com. We are here to make sure you get the most of your investment in the fantastic suite of tools from ANSYS Inc. And don't worry, even though the email says sales at PADTinc.com, our sales experience is just like the podcast, knowledgeable and interactive with some fun sprinkled in. Give us a call or send us an email. And thank you for listening to our little commercials. Now, back to our podcast. Okay, welcome uh, back to our uh, discussion. So Ted and I were fortunate enough to go to the Pacific Design and Manufacturing Show, which is also the medical device and manufacturing and M as well. And then there was like a packaging show and a plastic show. So they're all in the Anaheim Convention Center, which I have walked by, driven by, uh, many times we, we, being there was right next to right across the street from Disneyland. I didn't realize how damn big it is, and how many people you can fit in there. <laughs> yeah, you just see it from the one side. Yeah. On the, I mean, when I saw the map of the the show floor, I right away realized this thing was going to be huge. But until you're actually there walking mm-hmm. around, it's uh, hard to get a grip mm-hmm. on how staggeringly large it is. I mean, I've been to the the ASME Turbo Expo, which is great, mm-hmm. um, but that's just turbo machinery, mm-hmm. and this is everything, all, yeah. all sorts of industries, and, um, very, very large. Yeah, so, so the reason why we were there is uh, I gave two talks on 3D printing, which is not the subject of this podcast, but I'll mention a little bit of it a little bit later because it did deal with simulation. And then um, we just just decided to get a booth there. You know, we've been growing in California. We got more and more customers every month, and uh, we just thought we'd get out there and and see who was there and and meet some new people. So we had a booth, and it went it really really well. Um, so that was another lesson learned: to make sure you have an extension cord. Yes, with your booth. Oh no, not just make sure you have an extension cord, but if you are given the extension cord, you put it in your suitcase and you walk from your hotel, you bring the extension cord with you to the booth. So um, it was a little bit of a safety hazard back there, I agree. But uh, uh, some of the things that, that I – I think the coolest – the two cool things happened while we were there that I want to share. Uh, they're related. Um, on Tuesday, the Falcon Heavy Lifter – or is Falcon Heavy Lifter is the yeah. name, right? Did its launch, and, and Manoj remembered just in time, and we streamed it to – we had a large screen that we were showing oh, Discovery cool. Live on. And so we were able to watch, and everybody around us was able to stop and watch it. And it was an amazing launch that reminded me of when I was a kid watching the Apollo launches. But was I think, and you guys can tell me which was your cool moment for that, was when they stuck the landing on those two boosters yeah. right next to that each was, other. You know, if you watch that in a science fiction movie, mm-hmm. you'd say, 
Well, at least I would say, oh, that's cool, but that could never happen. That could never happen, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. that's been the most amazing thing to me. If if you're an engineer, you know know how hard hard of a control problem that is to get a long vertical tube to Mm -hmm. land vertically vertically and not (laughs) fall over. And not fall over and, and have enough fuel left. And so the funny thing is, the next day, guys are these guys are walking down the aisle and I look over and got a SpaceX badge on. So I jokingly go, Oh my god, you're from SpaceX. I'm like every other person here. I want to sell you something. Come and talk to me. And the guy stopped and he came and talked to me. <laughs> it turns out that he was on the team that worked on the main stage. Um and he explained to me, I, I don't know if it was proprietary or not, so I won't tell you what he told me why that one didn't land, but they, they understand why that one didn't didn't make it to the pad which was very interesting. And then to just talk with him, he was he's part of the team that did that. So the next day to talk to him about how they felt about it, and they were pretty excited, and how even they felt like that, they didn't expect them to land at exactly the same time. They expected that some air current or some slightly different calculation in the control system would cause it to be just a little bit off. Um, and so they were just as amazed at that as, as we were. And, you know, they're... They're pretty happy. And we all agreed that if we're ever multi-billionaires, we want to shoot our sports car into space as well. <laughs> That's a really cool thing to do. So, so did they shoot it to Mars or towards the sun? They, I read one they, thing they sh- the so, sun. yeah, this is probably the press. What they did is put it in elliptical orbit. So oh, I forget if it's Mary Hugh and whatever, yeah. but the maximum orbit is beyond Mars, <coughs> almost to the asteroid belt, and then it comes back to just within the Earth, or just outside the Earth's orbit. Um, but But it's a big elliptical orbit. Okay, so around Mars. They, they send it towards the sun, and they use the acceleration as it's being pulled in towards the sun to, to slingshot it around. But it is the orbit around the sun. Yeah. Right. Okay. Which bothered me in the press. It's like, well, what is it? Because some people said it was orbiting around the Earth, and some people would say it was going to orbit yeah. around Mars. But he basically showed he could put something into an elliptical orbit that would get to beyond the Mars orbit around the right. sun. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was really cool. The picture of the, the Earth behind the, the car with the dummy was... Yeah, it's classic. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. Oh, you gotta, travel agent. Yeah, you've got to check it out. Yeah. 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 You were with old space guys at Edwards Air Force Base, right? Yeah. Over there. Yeah. Yeah. So. I get to hear some sonic booms. Oh, good. Plane flying over the desert. Yeah, Joey's doing some training out there. So, uh, what, what's something to take away from the conference or something you thought was cool? Uh, Ted? Yeah, so other than the rocket stuff, which, you know, obviously that's always exciting, but just the diversity of companies and products represented there. I mean, right next to us was a precision spring manufacturer mm-hmm. with all sorts of samples. And it's just incredible the kinds of things that they could manufacture. And so, you know, I didn't have a huge amount of time to walk around because I was only there for one day. And I was also manning the PADT booth while I was there. But um, just all sorts of companies making machines, making parts, and then companies like ours that are you know, offering services or software and, and things like that. So just just the incredible spectrum of uh, yeah. products and services. That was that was my overwhelming feeling and, and, and I came up with a was a lesson learned to, to bridge the commercial areas that um you know we we, we used to go to shows a lot. Uh, that was kind of a thing engineers did back and we used to read the mag design engineering magazine and stuff like that. <clears throat> I think that you don't have to go every year but every engineer should go to a big, massive show like that with no goal in mind. Just walk around and expand your mind. See what's there. So, like, I found a company that called Liquid Metal 
that injection molds a zirconia-based uh, iron alloy. It's a steel that has zirconia in it, so it doesn't stick to the mold. So they use normal injection molding parts, metal injection molding uh, molds, but they 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 get the the they heat up the metal to it where it's almost melting or just it's really kind of very viscous um, liquid, and they inject it into a tool. And so these really small little delicate parts that we would have to like EDM manufacture or machine with like precision Swiss mill, they injection mold in volume. I didn't even know you could do that. Yeah. And, and maybe some of the listeners are like, well, duh, but I didn't know that was there. You know, I didn't know you could do that. Um, and the other thing was, uh, another takeaway for me was how prevalent simulation is now compared to where it was maybe 10 years ago. So... You know, if I went to an aerospace conference, it was everywhere, right? If you went to a electronics or, you know, the high-end, hardcore engineering. But there was a lot of medical there. There was a lot of just industrial there. And there was a lot of I, – I, of course, I was, we were trying to sell ANSYS. That's what we were there for. So I would stop in booths that I thought might need ANSYS, and Patrick did the same thing. And I was surprised that there were people that were using simulation that in the past probably wouldn't have. So that was very encouraging. Now, they're using the wrong tools because they're not using ANSYS. They're usually using a CAD embedded tool. So we talked about that. But um, the, it was really neat to see. And there, because it was a lot of medical, there were a lot of stint manufacturers. So we've done a lot of modeling of these uh, nitinol stints. And that used to be kind of a specialty thing that only a few people did. But, but I would say over two-thirds of the people that manufacture the stints do simulation these days on their stints, which was a big surprise. It's a tough problem. Yeah. Anything uh, you remember, Ted? Uh, I guess the other thing that struck me is what a small world it can be. I mean, yeah. we certainly had people that we knew or people that knew people that we knew stop by the booth, you know, ask how other people at PADT that they had worked with are doing or, you know, just people I knew that I hadn't seen in quite a while, even though, you know, we were 400 miles from home, mm -hmm. still ran into some of our customers. And uh, I guess... Related to that is just running into people that uh, have similar experiences or are, are struggling to work on things that we've worked on. For for example, the one gentleman that came by uh, when both of us were there mm -hmm. the first day of the show, who was trying to work on the same type of part that we had worked on as oh, the, a research the, part here at PADT. Yeah, yeah, it was a it was something we did for JPL probably 15, 20 years ago. He's trying to do the same thing now. And it yeah, was, who else it was, yeah. would have known anything about that yeah. if you, yeah. you hadn't been standing there? Yeah. So. yeah, that was that was that was my uh, coincidence moment. I agree with that. I was like, he he almost he was a little shocked too, because he was kind of speaking in generalities because he used to people not understand what he was talking about. And I I started to explain to him where we ran into problems, and he's like, that's exactly the problem. And uh, yeah, I I and I and I hesitate to say what the device was because he probably doesn't right. want to. Yeah, people yeah. to know that he's working on it, but you know, it's it was pretty cool. That was actually really cool. I agree with you there. That was kind of neat, um, just kind of out of the middle of nowhere. And uh, I think we met another guy that was looking for an injection molding house, and we had some 3D printed parts out there that caught his eye, and he stopped by to talk. Well, yeah, he lives across the street. <laughs> so <laughs> You're in like, Tempe. Yeah, yeah, in Tempe. And so it was one of those things where. Uh, he didn't, you know, he'd seen our sign, didn't know what we did. Uh, he's not a, an engineer, um, so he wouldn't wouldn't have known. But it turns out that we met in Anaheim. So it is, you got to get out there, and that that, yeah. that was a big takeaway for me. 
Um, Discovery Live was really popular. We had it run on a screen. Um, I was pleased with the number of people that knew what it was. Um, some of the analyst analysts were were kind of had the reaction that I did when I first saw it. Ah, oh, it's not accurate. It's, it's, it's black. It's smoke and mirrors. It's black magic. And uh, and I was like, no, you need to take a look at it. You need to change your mindset. Because the more really you look at tool. it, the more you're convinced that it is a very useful yes. tool. Very useful. I mean, yeah, it's not going to give you the exact final answer, but it sure helps point you down the direction yes. you need to go. Exactly. I did have one guy that I think was a conspiracy theorist that said that, that it was a tool that corporate America was going to use to replace their human employees with robots. <laughs> I thought that was a little extreme. I think that this enables design engineers to be more productive. I don't think it's replacing them. <laughs> but I was kind of like, okay, uh, I'm going to talk to your friend over here. <laughs> well, that's like an old quote that goes back to... Like when you and I were starting our careers, yes. an engineer's job is to replace himself right. or something right. like that. Find well, something better to do. Yeah. Yep. In, in my class, just yesterday, somebody said, well, when are, when are they going to make it so it just figures this out and just fixes these problems? And one of the other guys said, well, because we all want jobs. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to use what you said as a segue. Do you have anything else to add? No. So I got an email from a listener uh, of the podcast that is really interested in artificial intelligence and as it applies to simulation. And that's one of the answers to your question. Yeah. Is some of the stuff that we have to think about, what if you had artificial intelligence in there figuring some of this stuff out? And and, and we exchanged a couple of emails. We, we both decided we don't know enough to have a discussion about it. But I put it out there to the listeners. Um, if you... This is something I've thought about doing is doing kind of a, a, a section where we just invite a couple people not from PADT to participate in a discussion. So if you are interested in being part of a discussion on artificial intelligence and machine learning in simulation, go ahead and shoot an email to podcast at padtinc.com. That's podcast at padtinc.com. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll pick a couple. And uh, if we get enough, and if it's if it's not, we'll just uh, we'll, we'll bring a couple of us in here as well. And 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 I don't. There's no answer out there. I'm not aware of people doing it heavily, but it's kind of an interesting discussion topic to just what if type of stuff. Where could it apply? How could it help? Um, I thought it'd be kind of an interesting thing to do. So we'll do that in a future episode. Um, let's go ahead and do uh, upcoming events of interest. Uh, it's still startup season here in Phoenix. So I am uh, going to be talking on the 16th. No, this, no, when's my talk? I think my talk is, I know, this weekend I am doing judging on Sunday. Uh, not this weekend, next weekend. Doing judging at Techstar Star Startup Weekend in Phoenix. And then on the 20th I'm giving my talk, If You Are Not Scared, You Are Doing It Wrong, Successful Entrepreneurs Take Risks. Um, there's over 200 people signed up for that, so I, I have to get started on those slides. Um, <laughs> so that'll be fun. If you're going to be at Startup Week, stop. Don't go to the other. There's two sessions. Come to mine, not to the other one. Um, this, our first uh, webinar on Discovery Live is going to be on the 21st, and it's going to be for internal and external fluid flow. And then our big open house is on the 22nd here at PADT in Tempe. That's in the evening. Check out our website for details on that. If you have a young female in your family or a friend group that is interested in engineering and might want to learn more and, and spend some time with a successful female engineer, um, Danica and a couple other people at PADT here are going to be doing a little session before the open house. I believe there's one at four and one at five. Um, 
kind of her journey um, being an outdoor exercise enthusiast and becoming an engineer and how they relate to each other. And so she's going to do some scanning, some 3D printing, talk about simulation. It's kind of a cool talk. Uh, so, you know, bring your daughters uh, to that. We're really ta targeting it towards junior high kids. But, uh, you know, girls older than that, are, of course, are welcome as well, any age. But that's really targeted towards the junior high girls that are interested in technology. I'm really excited about that. Uh, we've got two more of the Discovery Live webinars coming up on 314 is going to be thermal conduction and 320 is going to be structural and modal. And I think you're doing that one, right, Ted? Mm -hmm. So we're excited about that. You're going to be hearing a lot more about Discovery uh, and how to buy it. Uh, in the next podcast, we'll discuss the, the process of how easy it is to acquire this life-changing technology. Um, news. So the stock is still high. Uh, it peaked at 164.90. So that's an all-time high for the against the stock. And then the whole market did its thing. So um, it's down to 150, uh, which, which is still a good place to be. And their earnings call is on February 21st. Um, it's going to make a splash, big or small, uh, positive or negative, who knows. But um, if you watch the stock, definitely watch that. But definitely people are paying attention to ANSYS as a company. And as I always say, why do we care as users of the code? Well, the more money ANSYS has available in capital, um, the, the more they have to spend on hiring more developers, which is what I'm always pushing for. Um, there is no news from ANSYS because the earnings call is coming up and they don't say anything. But uh, since the last podcast, ANSYS 19 was officially released. We have some big news here at PADT, which if you are at all on any of our email lists, you probably got five copies of. Uh, we just opened up our uh, first office in the state of Texas. So it's in Austin. And we have a gentleman named Ian Scott who's joining our team, and he's going to be the sales guy there. And uh, we're going to be selling ANSYS across the state of Texas from Austin. That's where we're going to start. This allows us to finally say that PADT is an ANSYS distributor in the southwestern United States. And we always say that before I say, except Texas, because most people consider Texas part of the southwest. Um, and uh, now we can say it. So we're really proud about that. It's a significant geographic area. So we'll be getting a lot of frequent flyer miles on that. We are selling the full product line there in Texas. We have some customers there. We're leveraging that existing relationship, and we're building new ones. Uh, we got quite a few customers that we're starting off with that we're really excited about getting to know. Some, some we know already. Some are new to us, and we're really excited about that. And I think many of us are very excited about the barbecue options that are ahead of us uh, in, in Austin. And, uh, so uh, we won't have, I don't think we'll have a problem for a while getting people to fly out there to visit customers. So Ian's there. Uh, if you're in Austin, if you're in Texas at all, he should be reaching out to you. And if not, reach out to us. Let us know you're there. If you're listening to the podcast from Texas, email at podcast at pdtinc.com and let us know so we can ask you questions like where to go for barbecue or, more importantly, where, which neighborhood should we put our office in. I had a friend ask when I'm transferring. Yeah. <laughs> Austin's a popular place. I, I didn't realize that until I said we were opening an open office there. So uh, we're excited about it. And, and of course, Texas as a state is, a, is big. And uh, there's just a, Austin it fits our profile from an industry standpoint quite closely. But we do do oil and gas. We do do some, a lot of aerospace, which is up further north. So, uh, and then, uh, of course, we've always had El Paso, so that's uh, always been part of our territory. But El Paso is kind of in the middle of New Mexico. Mexico, yeah, we it consider that to be Texas. Yeah, uh, Texas acquisition of New Mexico, yeah. 
Um, so, so we'll hear more about that as time goes by. We'll definitely do a podcast uh, from somewhere in Austin, maybe, uh, or I, I like to sit, go to San Antonio and sit by the canals there. So maybe we'll do that someplace. Blog posts of note. Um, there's a really good article on the ANSYS blog that came out a couple days ago that has nothing to do with simulation, but it's the guy that's in charge of uh, uh, basically making sure that aerospace and defense customers are happy with ANSYS products. And he noticed that there was a lot of change going on in using satellites to provide broadband. So instead of using, you know, your cable or like an antenna here on the Earth, they're putting up um, basically cell phone towers in the sky, so that you can um, get use your cell phone, use your internet access through these these uh, satellites. So I learned a lot. It was a really good article. It talked about the growth of these these small low Earth orbit satellites that they're using for it. Um, one of them is Vector Aerospace, which we work with, and there's a couple others that we've talked to over the years. So we're really excited about that. Check that. I really recommend everybody check that article out. It's it's in the blog, Ansys blog. Um, another one that that is a little a few days late is a, a look at. It, it was published on time, but I didn't. We didn't do the podcast since the Super Bowl. But they, somebody used Discovery Live, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but they used Discovery Live to model the Patriots' home stadium and what wind looks like when it goes in the stadium and swirms, uh, swirls around. And with the hypothesis that their kicker can use Discovery Live, can measure in real time the wind coming in the stadium and use Discovery Live to get a pretty good idea of what the wind looks like swirling in there and adjust his kick. Wow. <laughs> I thought that was very interesting. Now, didn't they miss a field goal in the Super Bowl? Yeah. And it was an indoor stadium. Yeah. <clears throat> so that doesn't have anything to do with it. But, but in their home stadium. So, so think about that. I mean, this, you can use Discovery Live because it's instantaneous fluid solution stress as well. You can hook up some sensors and get real-time feedback on something like that. Yeah. So that's I you're pretty interesting. Say they, they, uh did the CFD around a ball that was deflated? Know, they they actually ball. somebody at Ansys does not. I'll be honest. Somebody at Ansys does not like the Patriots. I don't <laughs> know. I think he's a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. That's probably a good good yeah, choice because guys. it's it's yeah. Pittsburgh where Ansys is based. And he did model that football several times. Um, and and there was a lot of talk about that. So there's a little bit of that in the article. It was a really cool article, and it shows kind of a neat way of using Discovery Live. Um, there's a couple good uh, Ansys 19 articles in there. Kind of, you know, we talked about it last week. That a couple of Ansys folks uh, gave their two cents on what's cool and new. So I recommend checking those out. And uh, we we actually have been really busy, so we didn't do any blog articles the last two weeks. So um, I think that is all I have to talk about. So as usual, we'll go around the table, and we'll start with Ted to say goodbye, joke, some words of wisdom. Um, whatever. Okay, so mine is half joke, half words of wisdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people have been having travel issues recently due to weather and fog and you know snow, other things like that. So the saying, and I don't know who said this originally, it wasn't me, but if you have time to travel, fly. Otherwise, if you're in a hurry, drive. <laughs> so clearly that depends on how far you're going. But you know, for us here, going to Southern California, sometimes it actually is faster to drive by the time you deal with all the security and rental cars and all that yeah. stuff. Seems like every year when we go to California, then it's like we'll fly one year, yeah. and the next year we're like, oh no, we'll just drive. 
And then the next year, it's like, yeah, I don't want to make that drive. We'll fly. <laughs> it took me seven hours to get home from from when we dropped off the rental car till I got to my house. It took me seven hours to get home from San Diego last night. Uh, um, and, and if you a, drove, yeah, it was so probably six, six hours. Six yeah, hours, right? Yeah. 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 So, so um, yeah. But that was because uh, if anybody's flying into Phoenix and doesn't know this, we have three runways normally, and one is down being yeah. refurbished. And that's why most flights into Phoenix in the evening are delayed an hour. Tom? Uh, well, I will just say yeah, I've always enjoyed doing this. And um, I heard a quote interesting. I can't remember who it was by. It was by a, a famous uh, scientist, historical scientist. And he said, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God to explain two things to me. One is relativity and the other is turbulence. <laughs> I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure you'll have an answer for the relativity one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh. All right, Go ahead, so, Joe. Uh, mine, uh, once again, I got it off the radio just as I was switching, so I don't even know what they were talking about, but it kind of resonated with me. Um, and I'm trying to put it into practice on anything that, that you want to get good at uh, is practice. don't practice until you get it right. Practice until you cannot get it wrong. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So anything you want to get better at, it, I started taking guitar lessons recently. So really cool. To, Very good. Trying to expand my... Can you get the band back together? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's really good. That's, that's cool. Yeah, I, I like that. Um, so this is Eric saying goodbye and thanking everyone for coming. Um, and I'm, I'm really bad at remembering quotes exactly, but um, somebody posted a meme on Facebook that was, comfort is the enemy of success. And I thought, oh, I need to see who said this. Was it some famous British philosopher? Was it a, a you know 18th century business person? No, it was a guy came up with a quote in like 2003 or something like that, and he was a teenage millionaire. He was this kid that started an investment fund when he was 14 and became a millionaire when he was, before he was 15, and he's a motivational speaker right now. So I thought it was a good quote, that, that when you're comfortable, you don't really push yourself, you don't really um, you know, achieve new things, kind of like you're talking about, Joe. But also... Dang, you can come up with some good quotes now. I thought all yeah. the good quotes have been taken. It's kind of like the patent, uh, the first patent office guy, the famous quote of the first U.S. patent uh, head of the patent office guy that said everything that needs to be invented or can be invented has been invented back in the 1700s. Um, same sort of thing. I thought every quote that could be said that was meaningful had been said, and here this guy came up with one recently. So don't give up. You you may end up on a uh, somebody's uh, bumper sticker someday. That quote reminds me, for some reason, of a quote by the retired race car driver Mario Andretti, which mm -hmm. goes along the lines of, if everything seems under control, you're not going fast enough. Exactly right. <laughs> That's exactly right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal that one from my, my speech on uh, if you're not afraid. I'm going to definitely steal that one. I like that. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for coming. Uh, it, we went long anyway, but uh, we always enjoy talking about stuff. So we'll see you next time and enjoy. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for our 13th episode of the All Things ANSYS podcast. We hope that superstition over the number 13 will not strike this episode.
We do want to thank you for indulging our deeper thoughts today, and we hope that you found some of our lessons learned useful. As a reminder, this podcast is not affiliated in any way with ANSYS, Inc., and the opinions expressed are those of the people on the show only. For more information, visit www.padtinc.com blog, and please share your thoughts and questions through an email to podcast at padtinc.com. See you next time.